It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. What is the law? Run on all fours. That is the law. Are we not men? This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Paul McCartney's got to be 80 something now. And it just seems odd to see him going around with jet black hair. I think I'd, I'm prepared for <laughs> Paul McCartney to go gray. It would not disrupt my. You may be more prepared than he is. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's, let's get in. Cause I. Yeah. yeah um, let's do it. Yeah, no, let's do this thing. And I want to, I want to, um, this, this is such a thrill. I think, uh, uh, cause one of the things we would wanted to do with the show is kind of branch out into other areas where, people, um, you know, because everybody likes movies. It's not just people who make them. And um, I'm... Or in I my remember... case, was never allowed to, although I tried. <laughs> I tried, I tried. Oh, rock videos count as, rock videos count as movies. They, they movies. certainly do. And there's oh, something really strange. They were short me. films. They were short films. They are, they're short films, exactly. I, I have met, um, just, just sort of the, the, the weird intersection of uh, my day job as a screenwriter, I've met and gotten to know several rock stars, some very big ones. I've worked with Willie Nelson, I've worked with Slash, people like that. The thing that always boggles my mind is rock stars want to be directors. (laughs) I thought they usually wanted to be actors. Well, there's a lot of them want to be actors. But it's just, I just thought, is there, what the reason that depresses me is because I always thought, is there really anything better than standing on a stage playing music and having people scream in adoration at you at the moment that you're, and then when you find well, out you that just, people- You just nailed it. it. You just nailed it. It's that, it's that primal, immediate satisfaction yeah. that no other uh, creative form could bring. I mean, I love directing. I was directing when I didn't know what directing was. Right. I, that's what I was doing. I just didn't have a name for it. But, but is it- Anything like being on stage and having 12,000 people or 20,000 people going nuts? No, it's okay. completely different. So what is wrong yeah. with you people then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that Well, because I, Why is it that a- I, because I had a narrative. We, Debo had a worldview and a narrative, and I was driving that narrative. And, and, and there's no more important art form than film. There's just nothing that can touch it. And when you have a story to tell, yeah. You want to make a movie. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, we, we've, he's, he's well, given it up, although people already know where we, um, we are here. It's, yeah, it's such a thrill with uh, Gerald Casal from, from Devo. Um, boy, did, they, did these guys have it right? Because look what we're doing now. We're actually devolving. 
The yes. Entire, the entire human race <laughs> oh, devolved boy, Joe, speak. Joe, you, you, you don't know. I mean, we didn't want to be right. You know, it was just kind of a art school kind of a pose. You know, it, yes. it was a warning. It was a warning, I was going to say, yeah. But, yeah. but, but my God, we're there. Yeah. We're there. You know what I've started in the last six, yeah. In the last six months, I've started collecting every article that pops up in the news. Which talks about devolving, devolved, de-evolution. Yeah. All the journalists are they're all saying it now. It's like not even a big deal. It's just like, oh yeah, sure. De-evolution, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's we're living it. We're seeing it every day. Sure. You know, five years ago, Joe and I were filmmakers. Now we're podcasters. <laughs> yeah, talk about devolving. <laughs> talk about devolving. <laughs> but um no, but I remember I was a kid and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's nothing I can say to you that you haven't heard a million times before. And I'm, I'm sorry for just repeating it, but um, uh, I, I'm a kid. I'm with my best friend, Alex Nemeth. Uh, Saturday night, we are sitting around, we are uh, right. eating pizza, drinking beer and smoking pot. And um, Saturday Night Live. Okay. <laughs> and here's this band we had never heard Harmless. of. <laughs> and you guys came on SNL, but you started with this clip of a film that I've been trying to find again forever. That's right. Um, That's right. And uh, uh, it's from our ten-minute original film called "The Truth About De-Evolution. Yes. And uh, and they and and uh, believe me, Elliot Roberts was our manager, and he fought with Lorne Michaels because Lorne would only let who was the guy that on Saturday Night Live that made the little short films with Mr. Big. Oh, um, what was his name? Wait, was it? Uh, uh, no, it was not Michael O'Donoghue. At that point, was it? No, it wasn't no, O'Donoghue. No, it was. It was a yeah. guy. It was a guy the... who, whose main claim to fame was that he did Mr. Bill. Right. Um, That's right. And 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 Lauren would only let him do anything that wasn't live comedy or performance. So, us Debo trying to get a film clip on there was uh, almost a deal breaker. Walter and, Williams. Yeah. Walter. Well, Lauren got rid of the Muppets too, so you're in good company. Um, <laughs> and and the reason we got through, yeah, the reason we got through is Elliot Roberts managed uh, Neil Young, so he told him, Neil will come on your show if you let Devo do what Devo wants to do. And Lauren had been trying to get Neil for two years. And how did that and work? So, Lauren? well, he finally came through. But oh, did he? <laughs> oh, okay, I was going to say, yeah, it was quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I remember that short film, especially because, you know, it was early enough in the days where SNL had a pattern and you knew what to expect. Right. You say there were skits. Right. There was a Mr. Bill film, maybe. Right. And there was a band. Right. And this other thing comes on. Right. And we're right. just, it freaked us out so much. Right. It was one of those things where it was, that was the idea. Frightening. Yeah. And then this band yes. comes on. Oh, I can't. I, I'm really going off memory. I can't remember if you opened. Um, <laughs> did you you no. didn't open with satisfaction, did you? I know you did it that night. Was that the uh, we did. We opened with satisfaction. Op yes, I think and that was it. When we, the second show was our second show was Jocko Homo. Right. The name check song. Are we not? Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we not men? Which came from the island of Lost Souls, which yes. lead us into which our we'll we'll get into. But the the just jarring <laughs> effect of that film. And those guys and that kind of music doing that song, I think Alex and I genuinely thought we had lost our minds, which in, you know, in the <laughs> moment, well, I don't know how it, how to, but, but in retrospect, to me is one of the great 
Um, just one of the great moments in television viewing of my life, I think, and in rock and roll. So, Tainted uh, pizza. Thank you. Thank you for making me doubt my sanity. <laughs> no, I mean, that had the desired effect. Our, our, our lives went from cult little, you know, club band uh, that played to maybe 200 mm. people overnight. Yeah. That was, it was over. Yeah, because I remember going, by, by Monday, when we all went into school, of course, we had all been into you for a year at that point. But on Friday, we had no idea who you were. <laughs> well, you know, there were only three, there were three stations, right? There were three networks. Yeah. And everybody participated in the same thing. They shared an experience. So I think the viewership back then was something like 15 million people. Oh, gigantic. Saturday night, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Yep. And so any kid. Those days are gone. Right. Right. Yeah. Any kid who didn't have a date or couldn't drive a car was watching Saturday Night Live. Hey, don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was an amazing thing. And it, it is a real thrill to uh, uh, a few a few years later get you in here to talk about um, yeah. some of the. Well, uh, it was very important to us for them to show that clip because we were obviously, quote, conceptual and 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 and. Part and parcel to Devo's existence was the visual element. Oh yeah, Mark and I were art students. I, we we were art students, and I had take I had taken film classes. We had a one man film department at Kent State University, run by a guy named uh, Richard Myers, and he had briefly caught some underground fame when he did a movie called Akron, like about a twenty minute film that got submitted to all the New York festivals, and he got an award. And he was a smart guy, and he's the guy that exposed us to all the fantastic films that were going on underground at the time, like the Kuchar Brothers out of New York, and all this stuff that we were getting to see, right? Uh, Babo 72 or whatever, like, uh, you know, about a president that has to pray to re reverse the release of ICBMs and make them go back in their silos, you know. Um, we were seeing all that and we were just transfixed by it. And I thought, I could make films. If these guys could do that, I can make films. I know as much about a camera as those guys. You know, so I, I started to get the idea that I could do it. I certainly didn't grow up that way. I grew up blue collar. Nobody was exposing me. Nobody was educating me. Nothing. I would go down to the local movie theater and, I, you know, I grew up Catholic. So I always had to sneak out because... You know, whatever the Catholic newspaper was, they were always forbidding all the films from being seen by me that I wanted to see. So I had to lie to my parents. That was, that was, the, that was the B house. rating, which was objectionable in part for all. <laughs> and that's every yes. movie I wanted to see yeah. was in the B category. <laughs> right, 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 Joe. That was it. So, so I remember, I mean, God, you know, I know I gave you this list of films, but that is not the order I saw them in because, you know, Nobody was hipping me to the cool stuff when right. I was 12, 13, 14. When I was 15, JFK had just been assassinated. And I was feeling very suddenly alienated growing up because, you know, they had shut down the school that day. And I, I took, I walked a girl home who was crying and felt really cool and adult male because I could comfort her. Of course, it went nowhere. But anyway, I wouldn't have known what to do. Uh, Within a month, within a month, I saw Dr. Strangelove. Ten females to each male. Kind of 
machine. Fluids. The doomsday machine. Blast off! At the local Kent Theater, alone, because I, I didn't want to be at home at all anymore. So I'd find any excuse to get out of the house. I wanted to run away. My parents were, you know, authoritarian, conservative Catholics. So I remember seeing Dr. Strangelove, like within about a month of, of JFK being assassinated. And uh, maybe six weeks. It was 1964. And it's funny because I was, that did it for me. But I didn't think it was a satire or a comedy. I was totally afraid. <laughs> I didn't see the bad effects with the model plane against the sky. You know, it didn't matter. I was, I, I bought into the story and Dr. Strangelove was freaking me out as he should, right? But I didn't see- So it wasn't, didn't see the humor at all. No. No, but that's, I, I saw it when it was new. Nobody laughed. talked about this. I saw it when it opened in New York and nobody laughed. Because, because they were too scared yeah, freaked out left, already right? from, uh, you know, years of yeah. back and cover. And now the president was yes. So it was like, right. this, what is this? This is not funny. This is, and the, and the reason it's a comedy is because when he was making it as a straight movie, he realized how absurd it was. And he said, well, the only way you yeah. can treat this subject is, is with comedy. But that didn't make it any less scary. Oh, especially like Jack D. Ripper when, you know, when, yeah. when the general's trying to like talk him out of doing what he's going to do, you know, and, and uh, when he has to beg to get the money out of the Coke machine to make a, a phone call. <laughs> it was, I was like, oh, God, give him the money, please. Let him make a phone call. <laughs> I guess, yeah, Joe, Joe, you've talked about that a couple of times. I keep trying to figure out, was, is there a precedent for, is there another movie at that point that had taken such an approach, a, a, a twisted, hilarious, satirical approach to something so serious. Well, I, I, when, he, when it was being made, it, it, you know, it was a different world it was, yeah. that it was being filmed in than the world that it was released yes, in. Yes, yes. And uh, exactly. that's, that's why the, you know, the, the, the alternative picture, Failsafe, which right. is, which is a, a heavy drama, uh, was, uh, right. that, was, that was not a success, but mainly because people didn't want to, they, they'd already seen the story once and they didn't need right. to see it again. And, and, and Columbia right. bought both pictures right. because they didn't want the competition. But I'm wondering, like, I don't I think you can that. release a movie like that today and have the same effect, because we have seen, you know, just the, the, the dam has burst and people would walk out of it understanding that it was satire and laughing or not. But it seems to me that that approach to that kind of material was pretty fresh in 1964, so you almost wouldn't. We still thought there was a reality there. Right, <laughs> and, yeah, well, uh, yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I mean, and the dystopian universe that we live in now, just, you know, it wipes out fiction. It, it, it completely- Of course it does. Imagine, you know, trying, to, imagine trying to actually send, sell a script of the last year, of just what we've been through in you the can, last year, right? or just even in the last two months. You know, and with it, with and, 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 and you go, we'll and then out, here's the climax. We'll throw in an epidemic, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here's the climax. You got an epidemic and the president refuses to concede and 20 states go in with him on a lawsuit to take it to the Supreme Court to disenfranchise 7 million votes. And they're, they're going, that's yeah. broad. And that's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. That, that could never happen. <laughs> oh, my God. We, we literally just. Uh, it is happening. My wife had never seen JFK and we watched it the other night. Um, and there is a scene 
And it's so pointed that you almost feel like they made the movie this week where uh, when Nixon loses the candle, <laughs> they're all complaining. And someone goes, do you think he's going to dispute it? And they go, no one disputes the outcome of a presidential election. Are you insane? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, we're making the case that we've devolved. Um, yeah. Oh, it's, we're in it. I mean, the evolution yeah. is real. It's so yeah. real. Right? It's, it's, it's I mean, there's a parallel universe as we, it's been, you know, even, even straight, straight journalists are all saying, oh, yeah. Through the looking glass, Lewis Carroll, there's two universes. It's like <laughs> you're in this reality or you're in that reality, and they don't even overlap. No, yeah. they don't. You know, and which they're is, bringing the is, fight. Which is why Rush Limbaugh came out today for secession. Uh, and it's the only time that I've Perfect. ever agreed with anything he ever said. <laughs> I, hey, Joe, I, I've been saying that, and my friends have been saying that. It's like, please secede. My, my, my girlfriend has been trying to, she's been tooting this horn for the past five years. You know, yeah, it's like, it's like leave these, us alone. These two, the these two people, this two, these two groups cannot live together. It just don't put them in the same. Exactly, page. because one group is still believes in the democratic rule of law and logic a little bit, and they are tolerant. In other words, hey, you go do that in your house, and I'm going to. But that's their weakness that they're tolerant. Oh, exactly. What I'm saying is, people that are tolerant, the fight's coming to us. They're bringing the fight. There is no way that we're not gonna have to fight just like we did 200 years ago. It, it's, it's happening all over again. You, I agree. You and can't I think, duck this I think fight. Look to inauguration day for nice. the fireworks. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, but we were supposed to be talking about movies. One one, this one's cheering me up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's yeah. So- um, He's kind of trumped movies, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, so, so that was it. You know, I, I have to I have to give myself credit for one thing, and that is, in retrospect, when I went back and thought about what are the movies that changed me and stuck with me and made me do what I want to do and gave me a, a certain worldview, and what I didn't know at the time that I was liking them and I didn't study at all, I wasn't analytical. Was every time. It's one of the great directors. It's one of the great writers, you know, great cinematographers. So, I mean, there's no coincidence here. That these films that were so powerful were done by really talented people in almost every case. Mm -hmm. And even in the case of Russ Meyer, who was talented in a perverse way. I mean, the production value of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is ah, insanely Now good. we're talking. Recently, 20th Century Fox had two very heavy ideas. First, make a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Second, get Russ Meyer to write, produce, and direct it. You'll meet three girls, young, beautiful, talented. A tight trio that was the heart and soul of a rock group. Life was sweet, man, but not enough. The whole world was out there just waiting, and the beat inside pushed them to where it's happening. Hollywood, USA. It happened all right. They got hooked on a non-stop merry-go-round where the only ticket you need is success. Be a winner, man, or forget it. When they made that first party, it was like too late. The whole thing was moving, reaching out, and they dug it. Whites, yellows, and reds were more than just colors, man. They were it. The magic dream pills. The chicks were wild and groovy. The studs were cool and cruel. The eyes so warm, the smile so friendly. But watch the teeth. They bite deep. Faces, so many faces, calling, begging, help me, love me, save me. Don't listen. If you hear them, you've had it. Come on, open your mouth wider. Here, taste. 
Life, man, life. Like it? Hell no. Tough. It's a one-way trip all the way down. <laughs> one little girl turns her back on truth and love. She'll have to make it with pain and eyes that cry rivers. The second finds her heart in the arms of another chick. Don't look for evil in your brother's eye. The third bird finds her man. It's good, very good, but she almost blew it before she learned that simple truth. The boys are here, too. One so sure that love was enough. It isn't. You gotta fight for it or it'll just get up and walk on land. Another cat's hungry, bread and chicks, make them pay. Love is free, but sex isn't. Don't look back, you won't like the view. And what about you, man? What's your thing? You talk weird. What do all those words mean? Who are you? Don't look at me, man, you're not real. It's all here. Love, rape, murder, dope, grass, abortion, suicide. Something for everybody. Now hold it, man. Don't close your mind. This is what living is all about. Now and then, that's the people who make Beyond the Valley of the Dolls come alive are the largest introduction of fresh young talent ever presented in a major motion picture. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is not a sequel. There's never been anything like it before. If you've been waiting for something new, waiting for a film to shake you into the freaked out, mind-blowing scene of right now, then come and see it, man, and find out why it's called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from 20th Century Fox. And it's evil that Ebert wrote that. He was like his own version of Terry Southern there. Yeah. Satire <laughs> is, is amazing. Everything is so wrong in that movie. It's incredible. And they got this, the, the lemon pipers and a strawberry alarm clock, and they wrote the, the songs for the Carrie Nations. The songs are great. Z-Man Ronnie. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Z-Man Ronnie Barcel. I mean, give me a fucking break. One of the great creeps of all time. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> didn't he at one point um, threaten to sue, or did he sue Russ Meyer? Joe, at one point for... for I don't think he understood what he was doing, right? I love the fact that he speaks in, like, faux Shakespearean kind of, you know, rhymes and stuff <laughs> in the movie. He's the impresario, the parties. It's yeah. fantastic. But the thing that, I mean, that that movie... Um, yeah, so what, tell me about where, where was the first time you saw Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? It was a uh, film festival uh, at, a, at a theater in Cuyahoga Falls, which was about... 15 minutes from Kent, and it was an art theater that showed all these films that nobody else ever showed. And so Fox had shit on Beyond the Valley of the Dogs. Right. We didn't know any of that. We didn't understand that. But you couldn't go see that as a release because it was supposed to be a sequel to Valley of the Dogs, and they freaked, right? Yeah. So it ran the art, it ran the art circuit, and we knew of Russ Meyer from all his big tit films. Right. And, and so we 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 went see or we had to see his latest right and we weren't even prepared for what we saw it was it was really challenging it was see that's a taste test it's like the girl i was with wanted to leave the theater right we broke up soon after imagine that yeah yeah i mean <laughs> I that's mean, a taste that, test Somebody, as someone who loves that movie yeah. beyond all reason i also i can't blame <laughs> someone for having that reaction to it either i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm saddened but, but we got it yeah. We got it. We got it. And and here's the bet. You know, we thought it was ridiculous and surreal, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So seven years later, Devo goes to Hollywood. You know, uh, before Frankie went to Hollywood, Devo goes to Hollywood. <laughs> and sure enough, we're meeting a cast of characters. You know, sure. starting, at the, <laughs> starting with Doug at the Troubadour and, and Marshall Burl and, he's, and, and Jim, I mean, and, and 
somebody night at the, at the Starwood. And guess what? The parties they take us to in the hills. Now I see that Russ Meyer wasn't even making shit up, really. He was just <laughs> slightly making it less like ragged than it was by dressing them better and right. writing them better. But we met the Ashley St. Ives of the world in the scene <laughs> and ourselves. It was real. We couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I, that felt like real hayseeds. I, I just feel like my journey with that film was was loving it instantly, but in that way, and I've really come to hate this phrase because if a movie's entertaining, it's entertaining. But in that sort of way, of, you know, well, it's so bad, it's good. And then as time has well, gone on, true. and as I watch it again, and I watch it again, and maybe I it's not it even again, bad. <laughs> and I am now at the point now, like, no, it's so good, it's good. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, Ebert's dialogue <laughs> is just unreal. He was. I mean, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. It was like now I have to go be a film critic because I can't ever top this, you know. Um, well, uh, the, one of the one of, yeah, the, the lead singer, the female that plays the lead singer. Yeah. Um, can't remember her real name. Uh, oh, the British. Uh, what an incredible. Uh, what's her name? Dolly Dolly Reed. And uh, this, yeah. where's this accent come from? That's kind of like precursor to Valley Girls, but not really. Right. It's like a. It's so arcane and affected that it's unbelievable to me. It's like fantastic. You can't quit listening to anything she says because no. it's so ridiculous. Yeah. The delivery. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 I, I could go like, on and on. No, it's one of, there's a handful of movies like that, The President's Analyst, one or two others that. Oh, oh, they create, God. They create oh. the 60s that you know never really existed, but God, wouldn't, never. It, wouldn't it be great to live in it? <laughs> Well, Joe, you must have loved the uh, little promotional film they put in the President's Analyst of, about the cerebrum communicator. Yeah, I mean, the, yes. the, the whole the whole thing with the phone, the whole thing with the phone company at the, uh, yeah. the President's Analyst. Yeah, just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Way it's, ahead, and it's so it's so accurate. Yeah, and, yes. you know, you know, the story with that movie was that you know it's Paramount was going to run a lawnmower through the picture uh, because they hated oh, it so much imagine. because the FBI was complaining. And, that's right, because uh, they dubbed over and they changed the name. That's when you know you made a good movie. Yeah. Well, they yeah. changed the FBI to FBR in dubbing. Right. But, or the CIA uh, to the CEA. Uh, but no, they, they wanted to make wholesale cuts on the movie. Oh, and uh, and through the chicanery of the director, he managed to sneak his own version through to a point where they couldn't wow. take it back. Wow. I love that movie so much. Yeah. Was that ever? Uh, I mean, sorry, yeah. on Gerald's list, I feel terrible sidetracking, but I don't think we've ever talked about it here. Was that was that a hit, Joe? Was it? A... Uh, no, uh, no, no, it was not a hit. But I love that uh, promotional film where they imitate yeah. the Sunday night Disney kind of stuff that was on the Wide World of Color or whatever they called it, uh, yeah. and and they do that soft pedaling like in the future, you know, and then they show a little anthropomorphized cerebral communicator jump into the guy's brain into and his brain. settle down. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he sits at a, you know, like a, a phone jack, uh, like a, a, a relay system and gets on the phone and talks to the next brain. Oh my God, it was fantastic. And of course, I had already digested all the duck and cover kind of shit and all those government propaganda films for atomic energy. And Devo was stealing everything from those. And yeah, yeah. Then there was Atomic Atomic Cafe that some some New York director made a mm -hmm. feature length collage film based yeah. on all those films. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a great film. That was a great film. But uh, yeah. oh, I love that you're yeah. on the Valley of the Dolls fan. That's, um, 
So is that oh. was that number one on your list, or because you said they're not in any order? Oh, we do it strange. Yeah, well, you, you, the the order I gave them to you in is not the order I saw them in, but yeah, go go in any order and and let's pretend that well, we have well, okay. Uh, okay, here it is. Surprise. The day the earth stood still was the first of the films I saw. The ah. day the earth stood still. Interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Nineteen fifty-one. Robert Wise. When you were a kid, you saw it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first of these films that, that changed me. And of course, it's so obvious, right? Because we were living in the McCarthy times, I was scared that there was going to be nuclear war. And uh, already, you know, the adults, I really hated adults because they were all stupid and they offended me. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were authoritarian and arbitrary and didn't answer questions and, and told you what to do and spanked you and all the other stuff. And so, you know, I loved Klaatu and I love Michael Rene and it's like totally made sense to me. And the way they portray the military and the earthlings was like, yeah, those are my parents right there. You know, so I felt, <laughs> I felt, I felt vindicated. I felt like, yeah, you know, it's fascinating. I yeah, love that. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. I want to get on that spaceship and get out of here. You know, yeah, it, it really moved me. And then the next film I saw was Village of the Damned. Science fiction has never imagined so strange or terrifying a story as that of the village of Midwich, England, cut off from life as we know it by some mysterious force. And later, at one and the same time, a child was born to every woman in the village. Children that grew to look like this. Beautiful youngsters behind whose fiery, hypnotic eyes lurked the demon forces of another world. They're not human. They ought to be destroyed. Forces put to such sinister use that it became a national emergency. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists, as government experts. Have we established anything about the origins of these children? There is the possibility of the transmission of energy. Let me get this straight. You imply that these children may be the result of impulses directed towards us from somewhere in the universe. What we need is time to investigate. Are you aware of life on another planet? And I know that's a, a cautionary tale and those little kids are supposed to be Nazis, but see, I was at the age where I wanted to be one of those kids and have the power to turn my eyes on and, and say, leave me alone and make a guy drive into the wall like my hillbilly neighbor. I wanted to make him drive his car into the wall. I, I looked up to those kids. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I get, of course, you know, the day the earth stood still, all that stuff's kind of explicit in it. And, and you're, you're taking away from it the thing I think that's intended. But that's interesting. I'm thinking about Village of the Dam because it's... Um, yeah, it's supposed uh, to be a horror film. Yeah, they're supposed to be frightening. Um, <laughs> I wonder, was that, was that, did a lot of people take it that way? I'm, I'm, uh... Well, it, it depends on how old you were. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 
Yeah, there was a pattern with me with that kind of stuff where the cliche was always, there was some mad scientist with some overarching worldview, he was gonna change everything, you know, uh, utopia, but of course he was evil and it was bad for you, right? right. And so the message of, he'd always fail and everything always went wrong. And I'd always be like, fuck man, I, I wanna see him succeed. I wanna see what happens when the plan works. But right. that was, you know, that was always the big appeal of, uh, of Captain Nemo. You know, when we saw 20,000 yeah. Leagues Under the Sea, which was a huge hit when I was a kid. Yeah. And, and he's supposed to be the villain. And yet he's the guy right. who has the, the, the vision for world peace. He has the plan. Very much so. He's, he's yeah. punishing everybody yeah. else. But, he, you know, he was going to kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, there was a bunch of people who needed to be killed. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> and still are. Sure. It's, uh, it's, uh... More than ever. There's yeah. 75 million of them. Just oh voting for the orange clown. It's incredible. I mean... We do not endorse the killing of anyone, especially if they might be happy to listen to this show. But if you're listening to this well, show and you're wondering, I don't know what you're doing listening to this show. Um, I just like the fact that 75 million people voted for a fascist and want to see democracy come to an end. That's what's incredible. Well, that's a new, that's a new you know, twist. We haven't had that one before. It's, <laughs> it's Joe Roth, right? I, I mean, uh, the plot against America. It's um, right. the Weimar Republic. Right, yeah. It all happened. It all happened before. It all, it all happened before. Let us hope it does not happen again. I'm, um, I'm, I'm feeling well, they're trying hard. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Um, but I'm, I'm still on the village of the damned here because it's just such an interesting. I'm, I'm really trying to think back because uh, uh, I think our perspective on everything else has been so simpatico. And I'm like, really, how did I feel about those kids? I feel like they scared me, and now I'm wondering if that's like if that's a fundamental character flaw in me. Joe, uh, Joe said, it depends on what, how old you were. When I saw it, right. let me see, I was, um, I was 12. I, I was probably yeah. that age when I saw it. I was, I was. 1960. And, and so, yeah, I was 12. And, and, and the thing is, okay, these English peasants who all talk in Cockney, they, you know, they all fall asleep one night early. They, they wake up the next day and don't remember why they all fell asleep. They can't remember anything. But now suddenly all the women that can bear children are getting pregnant at the same time. And guess what? Those kids don't look anything like hubby right. or mom. And, you know, and there is a lot of consternation in the village. Like, hey, who's been messing around here? It's like causing nothing but problems. And then the kids are super smart and hate their dumb parents. Now, if you're 12 years old, yeah. doesn't that resonate? I don't know. When you put it that way, I'm like, there's clearly something wrong with this <laughs> child. But, that, uh... but here, I wonder this, too. Maybe it was the glowing eyes. You didn't like the glowing eyes. Oh, those are kind of badass. The, the glowing eyes are only in the American version. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. MGM added those. But apparently in the British version. Oh, Joe, I love that. I love wow. that. I never knew that. <laughs> wow. 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 So you don't really need the glowing. You don't need the glowing. Eyes. No, because the whole idea was that they all knew. They all they all had this, this psychic connection, and they all what one of them knew. They all knew. Right, right. But I thought they were um, controlling the stupid adults to do self-destructive things with. Yeah, they could force them to do anything. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so they felt Americans felt they needed a visual graphic prompt on them. I, I think to sell it, that that's what they were doing. Yeah, it's, it yeah. wasn't enough of a horror movie. Well, it was a special effects master. What do you think? I mean, you're well. I think they did, the guy. They did I mean, a pretty good job. They had to freeze the shots, though. 
yeah. Yeah, 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 not yeah. travel, but no uh, tracking back then. No, and no. then they and then in the sequel, they just decided to go ahead and go for the blue eyes, the green eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was yeah. Well, here's here's so let me let, let me ask my question because the um, yeah. obviously there's no direct visual connection from from A to B, but do you think that what's interesting about those kids is they are visually uniform? Oh yeah. They, they are, they are They're all blonde. There's words, you know, they are a group, they are a gang, they are, forgive me, a band. Do you think, is, is there? Yeah, they look good. Yeah. Is, is, do you think there's a line from the uniform, the visual uniformity of those kids to perhaps a bunch of guys in the yellow suits with the red? I mean, give them guitars. Yeah. I, I definitely think you could make that case. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I love it. I love it. I mean, look, I had to go to Catholic school, as I mentioned earlier, and that meant I had to wear a uniform. So I have uniform damage from the time I'm six. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and, and so I, I grew to love uniforms. And, and being an artist, I used to draw clothing, you know, fashion. Uh, so I, you know, I'm the one that found those yellow suits in a, um, you know, in a, in a janitorial supply company catalog and thought, oh, if I just tuck the top in and get a cinch belt, then it'll be, you know, uh, um, good looking on the body, you know, like, yeah. wow. Right. So, okay. Really, really stupid question. Yeah. I got a stupid question. Was there ever, did you guys ever play any gigs before you had that down? Are there ever, is there like some ancient photo no. early Devo gig where you're in jeans and t-shirts or is it always nope. fantastic? Nope. Fantastic. Yep. Hit the ground running. You have to control your image. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. From the beginning, it was all thought out. I mean, you know, I have to say that's what I was doing. That's how I earned my keep. Um, I mean, not that I didn't co-write 90% of the songs, but I, I was the guy that did the stage shows, the costumes, directed the videos, you know, and it was all part of this thing we discussed and thought out before we did a yeah. thing. So that is true. And then, you know, the third film I saw was Dr. Strangelove, which we've discussed uh, ad nauseum. Then the fourth film was Planet of the Apes. I can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. The words are Charlton Heston. Get out of my signal! Go Earth, and we've landed! The world he finds out in the galaxy will challenge every idea you've ever had of civilization. A planet where man is the lowest order of living things, and the superior beings are apes. They build the cities, make the laws, the gods, and control the guns that hunt a race of lowly, terrified humans who run wild in the jungle, are caged in the prisons, and stuffed in the museum. 20th Century Fox transforms the motion picture screen into Planet of the Apes. And there, there you go with Diva from there. Oh, really? Uh, oh, sure. Sure. It was like, even with the cheesy Twilight Zone Rod Serling twist at the end, it's like, Oh my God, we're on Earth and it's pet. There's the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> what was incredible was the apes, you know, being this 
the, the uh, species that is now supreme and the, right. and the humans are secondary. We thought this is, this is where it's going. This right. is, we didn't have the word for it yet. That was de-evolution because the reason de-evolution came about is we really thought that the whole Darwinian rap about progress really left something important out. And it wasn't really explaining what we were experiencing at all. Mm. And that de-evolution was closer to what we were experiencing. People weren't getting smarter. They, they weren't getting you know, more capable of analytical thought. It was the opposite. They were buying into like sound bites and Nixonian right-wing bullshit and evangelical, you know, televangelical shows, you know, with the preachers. And we saw things getting uglier and dumber. And uh, <laughs> And we, and we saw that in the art. We saw that in films yeah. and in music. You know, I mean, my God, we had seen, you know, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Kinks, you know, Roxy Music, David Bowie. And now we were looking at these fucking groups like Sticks with big mutton chops and dumb hair and really bad songs and, you know, fucking, oh, it was horrid. It was horrid. <laughs> Yes, that was a that was a bad time, man. That was a bad time. Um. And every TV show was a cop show. You know, every fucking TV, you know, it's like in the latest uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino film where it's all cop shows, right? Yeah. And, and he's a has-been that's been on all these cop shows, uh, you know. T.J. Hooker. Anyway, so... So, no, but I'm wondering, I'm wondering here, and I'm, I, I've never done this, I've never come up with suggesting to a guest to their face that perhaps they're being, if not racist, speciesist. But let me ask you this. If you were an ape in Planet of the Apes, would you not believe that, in fact, you were experiencing evolution and not devolution? And are you not, in fact, bringing your speciesist prejudices to bear against uh, our superior masters, the apes? <laughs> I guess you're right. But, you know, uh, to, in Devo's defense... <laughs> Joe's we, we looking were... at me like I'm insane. <laughs> I, I I've never quite never quite heard you this cogent. Stand yeah. up for apes' rights. <laughs> it is, it was cogent, but I can I can prove that uh, you know because I used to write all of our little like you know a uh, tongue in cheek satirical press releases, and we we rail against the tyranny of bilateral form uh, in 1976, and yes, I could show you that ahead of the curve because I. I found a book in a book review section of the New York uh, Newsweek, and it was called um, "Now It Can Be Told How Man uh, Evolved from Brain-Eating Apes" by Oscar Kiss Myarth. It was by Prager Press, which turned out to be a CIA-owned press. And Oscar Kiss Myarth was an ex-Nazi, which I didn't know. Wait, that was his real name. It. Yes, M-A-E-R-T-H, last name. Kiss, the middle name. And he, in it, the whole premise is that cannibalistic apes yeah. started, uh, their brains started getting bigger right. and able to carry more information, but the brain grew physically faster than the organism's cranium could grow to contain the new brain, and it made them psychotic and they lost their tails and their sixth sense okay they're they're uh the the sense that uh that the kids in um, the psychic sense the psychic sense 
And, and that, that forced them to have to dominate and work and build structures and build, you know, protective this and that. And in other words, they had to develop society that acted like cannibalism without being literally cannibalistic. It was symbolically cannibalistic by power, by power, right? And anyway, it's it's two hundred page book with illustrations. And if you want to talk about racism, <laughs> he has various pictures of diptychs of here's a human, here's the kind of ape. So he's got every kind of ape in there, and he finds a human being that looks like that ape. And <laughs> there's black twenty twenty pages of black and white shots, and then all these skull pictures where there's holes drilled in the skulls. Oh, sure. Which, of course, yeah, he's proving that. They used to like suck the, you know, like sucking marrow out. They used to, right? You know, that special table with the screws, and then they. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. They would suck. Yeah, I do. I just feel so that anyway, a, talking, a talking ape might find his critique problematic. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But then what really sealed the deal was. Uh, because the next one we talked about again, which was uh, Beyond the Valley of Dogs. Yes. 1971, Clockwork Orange. Can you spare some cutter, me brothers? <laughs> we don't want to live in a stinking water like this. Oh? And what's so stinking about it? It's a stinking water because there's no law and order anymore. What crime did you commit? The accidental killing of a person, sir. He's enterprising, aggressive, outgoing, young, bold, vicious. He'll do. Now I'm grown up. Now I know that Stanley Kubrick is my hero. And now I understand Dr. Strangelove like I never did. And I'm a acolyte of you know kubrick and you wouldn't believe how polarizing this film was i don't know joe if it was where you grew up but when when i saw it in ohio there were people really angry and leaving the theater because they didn't get it right because they thought it was a uh embracing uh alex's uh you know psychosis homicidal psychosis yeah because at the end, you know, he's back, right? Yes. And it was like, that, that's a triumph. <laughs> and of course, that was the darkest ending. It's the darkest ending you could imagine. I think the, uh, I think the use of singing in the rain is what really uh, was too much for me. <laughs> Seriously. I, yeah, I, I, think, I, I yeah. think that, that, that taking those two views of life and sticking them in one scene uh, was just, people just, not, did, they rejected it. They just didn't, they didn't. It was, it was well, it was, a message they wanted. It was brilliantly transgressive. Or yeah. it's brilliantly transgressive. All the, I mean, really, all the way. I mean, and I, I, I don't know. Would you, would you say that's that's his coldest movie? I don't know. Because all of his movies are various degrees of cold. But 
uh, that you know that, I would have liked to have seen him live to finish uh, Eyes Wide Shut because that that might have been his darkest view of human nature had he been able to finish it the way he was going to. Yeah, he, he always he was always tinkering after the picture was finished. You know, yeah, they didn't get the I'm sure the picture wouldn't be as long as it is now if he had not passed away. I mean, I can argue both sides because I, I can see the coldness of those things, but I also see the the the, the passion and the anger. It's um, uh, I mean, Clockwork Orange. Well, you can have all those things and still be cold. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. a dispassionate film, though. I would say, and um, uh, but yeah. I mean, his view of human nature, I I completely share. That was it. I mean, that's what informed Devo. Yeah. And but we said we're all Devo because, you know, despite all this, you know, idealism and, and great works, there's there's a hardcore Jekyll and Hyde uh, uh, dimension to human nature that no one can escape. There is yeah. a dark side that is so powerful. There is palpable evil everywhere all the time. Yeah. And Kubrick was acutely aware of it. And those scenes in Clockwork Orange, it isn't that they didn't disturb me. They really did. I mean, it was there was stuff I couldn't bear to watch, like the rape of the woman with the, you know, the phallic sculpture. Uh, I didn't, there was no part of me that liked that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, but I knew how important this was. And the Lodovico technique, that's what yes. this, the Lodovico oh. technique. <laughs> another movie with a short film in the middle of it that's kind of interesting oh i love the lodovico technique yeah yeah no that's uh, i'm assuming you're a parallax fan a parallax view fan would that be you know that wasn't a bad movie that yeah. had that kind of b-movie cheesiness no it's it's a terrific movie yeah but it also had that, that yeah it has that great film and it's it's the, there's also a film in silent green uh, oh well that one's a little nicer. yes it's a little yes. nicer but except for the fact that none of those things exist at that time yes yeah. <laughs> that's a beautiful scene but you're right the, par the parallax view is fantastic when they are basically doing what they did to alex with the lodovico technique right? yeah you know they're they're like they're breaking this guy down and programming him, and it was brilliant and i love the fact that warren Beatty got used that way once yeah <laughs> yep but it's funny, there's something you said a little bit earlier. I, I remember it, it was it was one of those, um, uh, I, I don't often talk a lot about uh, all the copious pot I smoked as a kid, but it's now called twice. But I remember being at a party and having a stoner revelation. And it was it was the moment I went from being very interested in Devo to loving Devo. Um, it was the moment I realized that we are Devo was inclusive and not exclusive. That's right. That's what I'm talking and about. In fact, you weren't, you weren't a bunch of guys out there standing there going, we are. You were up there going, no, we, we. It was no. like, oh, I. We said we're. We are all diva. That's right. <laughs> and Boogie Boy said, Boogie Boy says that in the first film from 1976. He goes, oh, Dad, we're all diva. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Well, that that may have that may have just freaked me out so much. Where, by the way, just and yeah. like, where can one see that film today in 2020? Is it easily? Oh yeah, possible? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's called The Truth About De-Evolution, uh, uh, Now It Can Be Told. <laughs> and, and again, that was, that was inspired by the Oscar Kiss May Earth book. And, um, and, and, and so by the time of Beyond the Valley of the Dallas of Clockwork Orange, what I was trying to say is, yep. now I'm understanding film in a way I didn't. Now I'm paying attention to who's directing, who's the DP, who's writing, watching the camera angles, seeing how shots 
get put together to tell a story and analyzing it like an adult, right? Like because right. now I'm applying my I'm being a visual artist to really trying to understand this and because I want to do it. So this is when it starts. And mm. Kubrick was the best teacher you could have. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see how that sort of uh, uh, takes you into the world you ended up in. Too. Well, that's why when blue screen hit, how did you how did you come up with the uh, the quote from Island of Lost Souls? Probably from seeing by watching Island of Lost Souls. <laughs> convinced that the thing on this table isn't human. Its cries are human. You know what it is, what I began with? No. An animal. Well, we may as well discuss this frankly, now that you know the facts. I wanted to prove that you think that she was a woman. We saw Island of Lost Souls. There was a program in in northeastern ohio okay you know the the the, the film director mr anderson uh, what's his first name uh, the famous big big director yeah his dad was west and i mean uh wait, no what was his first name bernie anderson he Lindsay, Lindsay. he was he no. he became a voiceover oh ernie ernie anderson ernie, ernie anderson I, I worked with ernie a lot yeah he moved out to LA and, and got, you know, started the, into the porno world, right? right? But before that, he was Goulardi. He had a, oh, wow. a cheesy 11, 11 p.m. show that we all would get stoned and watch every Friday night. And he would show old horror movies. And oftentimes, he would use whatever techniques they were using back then to mat himself into the shot. You know, composite himself in into the right. shot, going, "Don't go in there! Don't open that <laughs> door!" You know, um, uh, and he would then between, you know, they always went to commercials, and he would take uh, AMT model car kits and stick firecrackers in them on his desk and blow them up, and then go, "Hey, kids, don't do that at home. Cool it with the boom booms." <laughs> anyway. Uh, in 1972, we were all toked up, and on comes Island of Lost Souls, the original, yes. uh, the the 1932 with the good one, you know, Charles Lawton, Bela Lugosi. Oh my God, Jesus! And oh, yeah. and Goulardi must have known it was good because he didn't put himself in this movie. Uh -huh. He wasn't joking it up with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> And by the time it got to the poor fucking half-human freaks in the pit being, you know, uh, uh, whipped and, and, and controlled by Dr. Moreau, and then Bella Lugosi. Isn't it Bella Lugosi? He's the yeah, truth-sayer. He's the, the same he goes, yeah, yeah. They go, what is the law? What is the law? And he goes, not to walk on all fours. That is the law. You know, what is the law? Not to spill blood. And then... Are we not men? And that was it. Boom. Mark and I just like the light bulb went on. Ah. It's like we're writing a song. We're writing yes. a song. Fantastic. 
yeah, that did it. Um, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. And, uh, and, and then, um, God, then it went from there where we moved out here and now Devo was in the soup. Devo was successful. Devo was finding out what it's like to try to still be you and not succumb to this, the hideousness of what we were in the middle of. And that wasn't very easy, but we had made a lot of friends. And, and uh, Mark had remained friends with, with uh, Lorraine Newman ever since we played on Saturday Night Live. He's been on our show. In 1978. And she was a, a great, she was a great film buff. She was a great yeah. film buff. Yeah. And she, and she said, Jerry, she gave me a, she gave me, she goes, you, I know you're, you're really into film and, you know, you like to grip, so watch this. And she gave me Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, wow. So I, in 1981, I watched Sweet Smell of Success. Bert Lancaster as J.J. Hunsecker, world-famed columnist whose gossip is gospel to 60 million readers. Tony Curtis as Sidney Falco, the kid who had ideas about taking over. But we happen to know I'm your star pupil because I reflect back to you your own talent. I'd hate to take a bite of you. You're a cookie full of arsenic. <laughs> Don't turn your back on him. You might find a knife in it. This is their story, and that of the big shots and big names who worship the sweet smell of success. Along Broadway, throughout Hollywood, down Wall Street, on Capitol Hill, Sweet smell of success. We're friends, Holly. We go as far back as when you were a fresh kid congressman, don't we? Why is it that everything you say sounds like a threat? Maybe it's a mannerism, because I don't threaten things. But why furnish your enemies with ammunition? And here you are, out in the open, where any hep person knows that this one is toting that one around for you. That did it. I mean, Burt Lancaster as J.J. Hunsaker and fucking Tony Curtis as, as Sidney Falco and the dialogue, you know. And it's, once again, now I'm studying. It's like, oh, Clifford Odets. Jeez, no wonder. Okay. The fucking dialogue just, I just couldn't get enough of it. It's all so snappy and unreal. Nobody talks like this, but that's what you love. Yeah. I hate the... A thing that happened in American films where the lead character has to be inarticulate and dumb and he can't figure out, you know, he's all rocky. Oh, you know, but I feel this. It's like, I love these fucking characters, these wordsmiths where it's flying, you know, silver tongue snakes, as they say. It's like, yeah. this is incredible. You know, and just the, the noir, the, the, the shot selection, the angles, the papers hitting the streets. Look at that movie, it's incredible. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Every time I watch it, there's there's just like a startling moment, just those opening shots. And it's like, I have to remind myself it's from 1957 because the James Long House cinematography is so modern and so cool. powerful. Yeah, it's like, so, this, is, this has to be 1970. It's like, no, it's 50. You're a cookie full of us. I need to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when he goes, I got a new angle, J.J., it's incredible. I'm going to get a guy who his integrity. <laughs> like, it's like, that's how they're going to get Martin Milner, his integrity. Right, his integrity. Cats in the Cats bag, in the bag bags in the river. 
oh fuck it's good but the yeah but but like back to what you were saying they put the camera you know just on some sandbags and the papers hit the street the early edition at night you know and sydney's waiting for them there at that little you know open air diner getting a 10 cent coffee oh it's yeah. fucking good it's and of course he can't even buy the paper he takes one <laughs> we get to know who he is right away um it's, you know, it's think so about that. Good. It's it's. I would say the um, uh, Ebert's dialogue in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is is um, one of the few films <laughs> I think that compares to Sweet Smell. It's like he cranked it up to eleven almost. Yeah. 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 Well, you, I mean, it's just it's so fucking good. Sweet Smell yeah. success. I can watch it today, and it, nothing except you know the the daughter's love story is embarrassing because they couldn't get into what was really going on there with JJ being- Oh, it's pretty know, obvious. Well, <laughs> it's not, it's not pretty obvious uh, to most people uh, that, that he's, you know, got a thing for his sister, but, uh, yeah. you know, it would be, it would be- I do, I think, huh. Anyway. I wonder, I've never discussed it. I've always just taken it on faith, but you may be right. It may not be uh, um, as overt as- So, and then I read, then I read an article about why um, um, who, who, uh, who was supposed to direct this? And they had to lop it off to um, uh, Alexander McKendrick, the English director. And it was, uh, oh. Was it somebody else? Yeah. Uh, um, Joe, you usually know this. No, he's, he's, he's... Ilya Kazan. Ilya Kazan was supposed to direct it. But it was because of facing the crowd. This is what I read. That what, what, he what? Let Good Lord. Alexander McKendrick directed. Right. You but, never but he'd already movie? made Face in the Crowd. Oh, he'd already made Face in the Crowd? Yeah. They came out he, the same when, year. When, when this, yeah, sure. the same year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then maybe, maybe I'm remembering the story about why he didn't direct Sweet Smell of Success. Uh, all I know is that then I read that McKendrick was one of the Ealing Four. He was like, you know, the equivalent of the 10 directors here, the Hollywood directors that got, you know, ruined by, by mm -hmm. you know, what's his name? The hideous. McCarthy. You know, yes, yes, McCarthy. Uh, and, and, and this guy's career was ruined just like that in England, McKendrick. Oh, wow. But, uh, boy. But for, boy, would he, did he do a good job of directing oh. something that was, a totally American story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's amazing. He also and, did, he, if you ever, there, there's a film that I I love probably more than its merits. Um, I think it's his first film, um, Tight Little Island. Joe, we were talking about I Whiskey Galore. I haven't seen that. It's, a, it's about an island. It's about a yeah, little Irish community in a, during the war and a boat with whiskey for the troops crashes off the shores <laughs> and everybody in town go, you know, goes crazy because there's all this free whiskey and it's, um, it's a blast. It's just a blast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, another yes, guy yeah. that understood human nature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but sweet <laughs> smell is wonderful. It almost has a, like, it, it takes place in this almost hyper real universe. You know, it, it's, um, it's incredible. It's yeah. Incredible. It, the 21 club. Oh, man. Yeah. Match me. Match me, Cindy. Match me, Cindy. <laughs> Later, JJ. Not right now. So oh, man. And, so well, and then, what? guess what? Because of that, and because of talking to Lorraine, my next film was A Face in the Crowd. 
Oh, Lonesome Rose. Look out for him. He's mean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Griffith, another sensational newcomer from Ilya Kazan, who brought you Marlon Brando and James Dean and Carol Baker. There's a film with nothing to teach us. <laughs> oh, God. Because it's already happened. And, and the tragedy of that movie is that at the end of the picture, when they see what he's really like, and then, yeah. the, then the movie assumes that, that everybody would go, oh, well, look, he's a, he's, he's a shit. He's been conning us. He's been turning us. He's been right. making fools out of right. us. That's, that's and the now part we know that's not true. Yeah. Now we know that could never no. happen because it's that's already not happened. how it works. And it's already happened numerous times, and it's happening again as we speak. Yeah. And, and more and more people. And it didn't, it didn't shake his followers' faith at all? No. No, it's, uh, yeah, that, that, yes. I mean, to watch a movie like that, that is so knowing and, and so understanding of these issues. And then, yeah, with, with historical hindsight, realizing how wrong they got it at the very end is, is kind of sobering. Well, but, but it wasn't wrong back then because. No, we were different. You know, uh, Joe nailed, hit the, yeah, yeah. Joe hit the nail on the head. It's like the pussy grabbed by the pussy tape. Back right. then it would have been over, right? Yeah. It would have been over. But not now. It's like, oh, that's just a guy. He's our guy, man. He's just talking about He's just a guy. He's, cool. He's just flawed. God wants him to be flawed. Yeah. But Lonesome Roads and the oh. power of the media and then how New York hipsters think they got a real hayseed here that they can control and manipulate and make money from. And he fucking turns the tables on them oh, yeah. because... He's a real fascist. He's the real deal. And he's a sociopath and as well, which is very important. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But and, and an entertaining, so entertaining one. Oh, he can turn anything into a jingle. Vita Pig yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah. And Andy Griffith. Yeah. What's, so... what's, what's he say? New man in the morning. <laughs> new man in the morning. <laughs> He goes, ah, ha, ha, and he takes one of the pills, goes, ah, yeah. <laughs> and the hideous laugh, the yes. hideous fucking evil clown laugh. Yeah. Oh, man, he's so good. Boy, what happened to him? I mean, that doesn't match. He went on. He had a nice that movie was a gigantic <laughs> failure is what oh. happened to him. Oh, okay. You know? okay. And then he went on to do his persona. His, his, he was famous uh, as a comedian for doing this football shtick. Thing that he did, yeah, uh, and and it was it was a routine, and then he and then he made uh, you know No Time for Sergeants, which he'd done on Broadway, uh, and then he went into comedy because why, why was he going to beat his head against the wall when he gives <laughs> one of the great performances of the decade, and nobody goes to see the movie? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, even from the time he's introduced in prison, and they give him the guitar, yeah, and he's mean. It's just incredible. So mean. But what's amazing uh, about him, and maybe it's just because I was so familiar with him by the time I'd seen it, but as convincing as he is in that film, I've, I've always surprised that that performance doesn't rub off on me when I'm watching him in something else. It's like I don't have to adjust. I'm still adjusting 30 years later <laughs> to Bruce Dern because Bruce Dern shot John Wayne in the back. And I have to like, <laughs> okay, I'm sure he's a nice guy. And I'm sure if it's a lot, get over it. I'll like this guy eventually. But, but Andy Griffith yeah. is so good in that. And then he's so good in his other parts that they're just, they're different. They're just different. You know, I don't watch. Uh, but he becomes the, but he becomes the inverse as an actor yeah. of, of the actor that played, yeah. uh, you know, Lonesome Roads. I mean, he almost become like Andy Mayberry is yeah. the 
stick of Lonesome Roads yes. in reality. Soft it's the core. Jekyll and Hyde thing again. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly right. Oh my God, it's great. Yeah, you could. I wonder if you could do a supercut or something where you could take an episode. I, I'm sure SCTV. <laughs> oh yeah. But the hit, the thing is, you know, you couldn't have Network or any other film without a face in the crowd. No. You know, network would have never. It's just a remake of Face in the Crowd, basically. Yeah. And the in the network thing, the thing that stuck out to me was when Ned Beatty gives him. That's that's one of the greatest scenes in movie history. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> it did <laughs> yeah. it for me. Yeah. It, it made all the rest of the kind of B movie shtick going on there with William Holden and and oh. uh, what's her name? You know, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. it made made that go away. Made that go. Away. I, I love everything that is, unreservedly, but I, I will too. give you that name. Really? Best thing. Yeah. Okay. He's, oh, my God. Oh God. And, 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 and you know what? That talk is probably what every president of the United States gets before exactly. they get inaugurated. <laughs> exactly. Just before they show him the film of the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. From, a, from an, an angle that you've, you've never, never seen. seen before. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Well, you know, speaking of that assassination, I don't. I, I you probably remember this. I'm I'm old enough to remember it. We all that that Zapruder film played on TV over and over and over that weekend after he was assassinated. Saturday and Sunday they showed it over and over on the news, and there were no frames removed yet. And you watched his brain get blown off and and hit the trunk, and. Later, years later, it's gone. It's yeah. gone. I mean, but we were all watching it, just like on Sunday after I got home from church, I watched Jack Ruby kill Lee, Ar- Arby, Lee Harvey Oswald live. Live. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> I mean, that affected us, you know, uh, indelibly. I mean, indelibly. That's, it, le- it, led to the, was, it led to the 60s and 70s. It led to... It led to the whole societal uprising. It changed everything. It changed everything. Well, for our generation. That's like, that's, it's like the crucifixion. I mean, really, that image, the assassination of JFK is the modern crucifixion. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, so, uh, so yeah. How did, how did JFK hold up, Josh? Um, oh, JFK <laughs> is a brilliant movie. I mean, it is just a masterpiece. <laughs> You know, it's so bonkers. His it's allegations a, are so bonkers. Yeah, but it's I've bonkers, always, all right. I've always defended it because, to me, the larger point of the film is not at all that, uh, you know, Clay, Clay Shaw and a bunch of the, the gay, commie-hating maniacs assassinated. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's that you need to question these things. And I think it does a great job of that. Sure. Um, in, in a way that sure. allows you to not have to latch on to his, you know, the insane specifics, <laughs> but just as a movie, it, it's, it's very it's, well made. My God. Yeah. It's, um, you can't believe what you're looking well, at. I think I, I see, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm as big of a fan as you guys of it, but I do, I do like, uh, that the fact that, that he's such a provocateur yeah. and that film, that film led to then, uh, balls out surreal collage of of uh, natural born killers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. natural born killers takes the elements you've seen there and goes all the way. Yeah, you know the, the way like David Lynch uh, on 
had certain things going on and lost highway that then don't all come together until the, the next film where he leaves narrative behind yeah. Mulholland Drive. Yeah. You know, is I just think I, I just think natural born killers is better. Like as what as what he was trying to do. I didn't think he had another shot. I, but, I had issues at the time, but yeah, definitely cinematically. I mean it's it's no question. Um I keep meaning to go back. Um but well I <laughs> I love Robert uh, Downey Jr. in it. <laughs> Oh, there's a weird, oh my God, and, and Rodney Danger. God's sake, one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen and just completely fit with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Child uh, molester. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. And then, and then, oh, to wrap it up, Espresso Bongo. That was. Well, the, of course. I mean, we I, had to be climbing towards that mountaintop, right? <laughs> no manager? This? Do the kicks. Are you offering me money for bashing the bongos? Our boy is going to be the idol of teenagers everywhere. Now go out there and kill him. Bongo Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, you know, most people have never heard of this movie. I found that out, yeah. We must yeah, explain. Uh, tr explain Espresso Bongo, because I, I, I saw it oh many, many years ago. And, um, but Cliff Richard, right? Val Guest? I, Val I, saw, Guest, it on a I saw it on local Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Harvey when he's young. Really that's young. right. That's right. Lawrence yeah. Harvey. And he's great. He plays the sleazy fucking music business uh, agent. And he signs, he signs Cliff Richards' character to an onerous, hideous deal, which is all very realistic. It's all shot in the seedy, where was Soho in the, you know, in 1959, Soho was like East Village in the 70s or something. And it's shot in strip clubs and coffee houses before anything goes mod. And it's like English beatniks and, and greasers. It's seedy. And it's, I mean, it's... Oh my God, it's a great time capsule. Just what they got on film. It's fantastic. The suits, shark skin suit. I, I think Val, Val Guest is Val Guest is one of the most underrated directors of uh, of his generation. Uh, his uh, yeah, almost every Must movie be. that he did, even if it didn't have a good story, was really really right. underrated. And yeah. of course, I didn't um, see this till until nineteen seventy six. So Debo is like, you know, reaching critical mass and working every night in the basement for hours. And so I saw this film, you know, in black and white on the TV upstairs from our rehearsal basement. And I immediately wrote a song called Clock Out based on the music I was hearing in Espresso Bongo. This film really just grabbed me because it was, it was just the right moment to see it. You know, I was 27 and, and now, you know, a, a self-styled wannabe director and I'm watching this movie and I'm kind of almost envious because I'm thinking this is so cool. You uh -huh. know, it made me want to borrow from it, you know. And and Lawrence Harvey is a great fucking actor. I mean, his character is so nasty. It's so great. Anyway, that's it. Uh, 50, 1959, but I didn't see it till 
76. It was interesting because Cliff Richard was this like. He's a pop star. He was very, yeah. very popular in, in England, never as popular here. He was sort of a British Elvis. And then he became born again. Um, I think he's still chugging around doing that, isn't he? Is he still, uh, or he was until at least a few years ago. But um, he was the cat's meow until the Beatles came along. And then yeah, he was like just old news. Like suddenly it was like they couldn't even look at Cliff Richards because the Beatles showed him, you know, the next dimension. The right. new world, the future. Right. Things, things were still evolving at that point. Yeah. I, I would say so. Yeah. I, I do think the Beatles represent evolution. I do. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that's a that's a fair assessment there. <laughs> um, well, Gerald, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes, these thank are, you. These were fantastic and uh, um, definitely it's 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 fun. It's fun when you can see the connective thread through these things uh, and how they connect. Yeah, I realize I didn't pick the artsiest, esoteric stuff, but- No, no, that's good. Other people do that. Yes. (laughs) Yes, everybody everybody does that. These are are really great choices. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, It's wonderful having you on. And uh, uh, I still- Thank you. Having you on. Privileged to get to talk to you, Joe. I mean, God, I love your your work. Oh, thanks. I loved Gremlins. That was- Oh yeah, my favorite because it, it's just a well. It's a what? What is it? It's a uh, a metaphor for adolescence, right? Yeah, just like I just like I was a teenage. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what happens when those cute little things. Yeah, yes. yeah, those cute little grims. Yeah, they become monsters. Yeah. Yep, they devolve. It was fantastic. <laughs> you made me laugh hard. It made me laugh. Really that's hard. good. Oh yeah. Uh, we just found, I guess Joe had not seen it. There's a wonderful clip of, uh, I guess, some ratings controversy over gremlins in England. Yes, which uh, I was unaware of. But it was uh, uh, there was a big contretemps about whether or not it should have an, uh, a, most, a more restrictive rating. And uh, children uh, under 15 couldn't see it or under 12. Or yeah. it, uh, it was, I don't know, it was, it was a film clip of people coming out and being interviewed. And, and uh, it was, it was, I, I, I was, I was disappointed that Simon LeBon was so namby-pamby. Because he clearly <laughs> did, did not want to come out strong, but but Michael Winner basically goes, "Oh horseshit, this is a great movie for kids." <laughs> you have to stop bad mouthing him on the show. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> All right, Gerald. Thanks. All, All right, right. Gerald. Right, thank you, you so much. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, it's Josh, and I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, we are done, man. We are out for the year. We're Take a little holiday break, uh, you know, go out, visit some folks, hug a lot of people, breathe on them, breathe in them. And uh, we will be back in January with more episodes of the movies that made me. So for me and Joe and all the gremlins at Trailers from Hell, have a very happy holiday. See you in 2021. In the past, this information has been suppressed, but now it can be told. Every man, woman, and mutant on this planet shall know the truth about de-evolution. Oh, Dad, we're all people. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson. For the movies that made stay safe out there, folks.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.